0: Hi guys, and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. We are your hosts, Danny
1: and Sammy. Uh, In today's episode, we will be discussing supplements with Jack Lenton. Jack, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure, yeah. So um, I'm an online coach as well, uh, fully online. And so I work predominantly with female clients, um, hence why Danny and I spoke about doing this podcast specifically. Um a lot of the work I do is with people who are perhaps Instagrammers themselves, um, sponsored athletes, or I guess people that want to, I'd kind of use the term like go from good to great in a lot of ways. Um I think online coaching doesn't really lend itself well to beginners. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I tend to go with kind of intermediate to advanced clients, um, do work with guys as well, but yeah, it's all all online work, all one-to-one work. Um Up until what I say that up until recently, I've just branched out and started doing some online group training as well.
0: Yeah, cool. So we're going to do this podcast all about supplements, and obviously there'll be a bit of conversation throughout as well. Um, first question, Jack: In your opinion, are supplements appropriate for everybody?
2: I think supplements. I mean, by their nature, like by the definition, it's supplementary. To your diet and what you do, um, I think rather than saying like supplements are for everyone or there's one supplement that's for everyone, I think there is a supplement for everyone. Just in yes. the sense that depending on the person and that person's needs, there's a supplement that will work for them. And you've got to think about whatever that kind of what that what that one thing is that's going to be the, the important thing to them. I mean, if you've got um, a vegan client, for example, who doesn't get a lot of vitamin B12 in their diet, then maybe a B12 oral supplement is it's great for them. Or if you've yeah. got someone um, who really doesn't like fatty fish and just doesn't factor it into their diet, then perhaps an omega-3 capsule is going to be something that's good for them. Um, but there's definitely not like a single blanket supplement that I'd be like, everyone has to have this, or that everyone should use every supplement
0: yeah I completely agree and like I said before we started recording um I'm not a massive pusher of supplements for everybody for some people I will recommend certain supplements but what the most important thing is obviously working hard and nailing the right calorie intake for your goals and training hard and supplements are exactly what you said they're there to supplement the hard work and the diet they're not gonna be a massive game changer they're just something that you can consider once you've nailed everything else once you've nailed the basics and it's important for
1: for us to be eating really nutrient dense foods because i think a lot of people these days miss out on things like vegetables and fruit which have so many micronutrients in them and then they just you know think supplements are going to solve the issue
0: yeah but they do definitely have the place especially with more advanced individuals who have nailed everything else they can then consider supplements. Um, yeah, and I think
2: that also goes both ways though in the sense of like you, you get our I think we, we kind of sit in that middle ground camp perhaps the most like rational logical camp about it whereas some people are like I won't touch supplements on the other end of the spectrum and other people yeah. will be like I supplement everything and it's you know I use 10 products every day three different pills an hour kind of thing but like I think it's also if you go to that other end of the extreme there's also negative things with that like in some cases and I, I've caught flack for saying this before in the past but like some supplements are better than some foods in the yeah. sense of like if you break it down and look at some of the like the cost benefits or the things like bioavailability of certain supplements sometimes it's genuinely better we mentioned um, cod liver oil briefly before recording and something like that you know people tout about things like oh chia seeds and flax seeds are, are great sources of omega-3s they're really not like they're really yeah. not very bioavailable in a lot of ways um i think the the ala that's in chia seeds and in flax seeds it's only something like five percent of that that actually gets converted into epa and dha and those are the two essential fatty acids that we actually want like they're the things that we need yeah and they're the things in absolute abundance if you just have a couple of fish oil capsules so yeah. in that sort of case if you've got like a vegetarian client who's like right well i don't need omega-3s because i'm just going to eat chia seeds but like well actually hang on a supplement would actually be a better option in this case yeah and you've got a little ground between what's effective and yeah where, where i guess you can just sit in that comfortable point of also cost to benefit ratio is always going to be a consideration of what's going to be
1: right for a client. Yeah. And that leads us kind of to our next question. Like I think supplements can end up being quite expensive, especially if you get quite a lot of them. Um, if someone's on a budget and could only pick one supplement, what would you recommend? Or if there's like a couple that you would specifically recommend?
2: Yeah. Um, that, I guess that one, I, I'm going to give a bit of an annoying answer. And circle back to that one's going to depend on the individual I mean if you're um yeah if you come to me as someone who's vegan doesn't eat a lot of meat products or dairy products and gets no vitamin b12 in your diet then maybe a b12 supplement is like your one but then for someone else who um, let's say they take care of all their food they're great with all their micronutrients they eat a really varied diet, Um, their performance is on point in the gym. The only thing that's like uh, maybe a a secondary consideration for them is like in their family there's a history of high cholesterol or like poor blood markers in that sense. Maybe for them you'd give them like a high strength garlic supplement or something and that would be their one best one because that helps to control cholesterol. But you're never going to catch me recommending garlic as the one best supplement for everyone. Yeah. Like, in that case in that scenario that's probably the best one for that person I think it's all about absolutely maximizing your dollar spend so like yeah. for the money you're gonna spend if you're on a budget what is that one that's gonna solve your one problem what's the issue what might solve that and are you willing to spend that um, yeah. is that a cop-out answer would you say
0: no I think that's really good because a lot of people won't consider what they actually need and will just go for kind of what's popular and what everybody's taking and what's the trend. Um, so I think it's really important to consider like what you actually need and what you need to help your individual issues. So I think that was a really good answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go automatically for a multivitamin. What are your thoughts on multivitamins, Jack?
2: Yeah, multivits are like, they, they definitely divide people. And that some people like don't ever touch them. You don't need them. And other people think they're the absolute savior. Um, I think so what kind of scientific studies show and what research reviews show on multivitamins is that they are only recommended for specific populations. Like, yeah. They're not just recommended for everyone forever. Um, one of the key populations is actually people that follow a restricted diet. Yeah. And I think initially people who are like you and I like into fitness track macros we we think we're pretty healthy and stuff you you have the tendency to be like oh that's that's not me you know because you're not eating turkey dinosaurs and potato wedges every night you think I'm I'm covered I'm good but actually you probably don't eat or at least I'll admit that I don't eat that much of a varied micronutrient diet yeah consistent greens that you go to um, there's some consistent fruits that you eat, and really a properly varied diet would be like the whole eat the rainbow sort of thing, where you yeah. get an entire spectrum of different foods that um, are different colours, because those different colours represent different micronutrients. Um, so, I think perhaps bodybuilders and physique athletes could do with a multivitamin a lot. Definitely. Of the time. Um, and it, it, you're if you're just going with like a standard, and you go into any supermarket, any grocery store, you can get standard low dose multivitamins that are going to be completely safe, you're not going to run into toxicity issues. You never heard of anyone overdosing on vitamin A from a Tesco multivitamin, like you're going to be fine with that. Um, and it can probably serve to be a nice little support level for a good amount of people, yeah, um, not putting too much. Trust in that it doesn't mean that you can then get all your carbs from sweets because you've got a multivitamin, yeah.
0: yeah that's right. And like you said, I think especially for people who might be physique competitors, people that are into bodybuilding, they tend to eat very similar things day in, day out. So for them, I think it is a really valuable thing to potentially yeah. invest in. And like you said, it's not going to cause any harm
1: getting like a store multivitamin. So I guess also, especially if you're in a calorie deficit. Yes, um, like you start missing out on a lot of things. So it's, yeah. good. it's good to have that in there. Um, also, do you think that there's a uh, difference between supplements recommended for males and for females?
2: Um, I don't have blanket recommendations for it. Right. Uh, I think it would, it would, again, come back to that individualization. Yeah. There's, yeah, it's not like I give all my guys mass gainer, all my girls... Mm-hmm evening primrose oil or something it's it's not like really black and white um but there's there's trends and there's commonalities i'd say a lot of women for example um or more women proportionally than males would tend to be deficient in iron just because of blood loss throughout the month and and the kind of especially female athletes um so that's something that you may want your female needs to get blood work if they're often feeling tired or like symptoms of low iron to test that out and then possibly you'd supplement more of your females with iron than you would males. Um I would I would say there's probably probably two common themes or like observations from female clients from coaching a lot of females is that one, a lot of them struggle in their off season to hit the carb requirements. Yeah. So I'll I'll quite often get females onto a carb powder, something like um, highly branched cyclic dextrin, um, use intra or pre-workout carbs, post-workout carbs, something that's just going to make it a lot easier for the food to go down. Yeah. I think I did an Instagram post the other day about how I've got multiple clients on over 500 grams of carbs that are relatively small females because their metabolisms just require that sort of amount to be um, notching their weight up slowly. Yeah. for someone they've not got much of an appetite 500 grams of carbs is is a lot to get in um and i don't really find that from guys generally i've, I've had guys on like 750 carbs and at, at that point we will use a, a powder as well just for bloating and stuff but generally you could give them any food amount and they're pretty happy to go and smash that back
0: yeah um, do you find any workout um helps with performance as well because it's something both me and Sami have used in the past and recently especially as my calories have increased i do sometimes utilize an intra workout and i do i i don't know whether it's psychological or not like but i personally find it does help with my training performance towards the end of a session yeah. do you find that with your clients as well
2: yeah i think it definitely helps it's some some were like night and day different like I love this I feel great with it um others are a bit more like I'm not really sure if it works or not but look it helps me get another 40 50 60 grams of carbs in the day you know it's cool I'll keep doing it um some people I just find are a bit more carb responsive in terms of energy some people carbs and they're absolutely buzzing other people want to kind of curl up and have a nap and that can generally not so much with those types of carbs or if it's pre-workout but it's a consideration you've got to try it with the person see if their um, digestive system can handle it some people don't like having carbs and training with them Um, but in terms of there's a lot of actual research carbs around a training session generally it tends to be like um with people who are doing endurance work or, yeah. you know, like, times with cycling stuff, that's more where it's studied. The area around, like, weight training with it is a bit more grey. We probably yeah. don't burn glycogen as well. I can absolutely stuff my face because I'm really depleted, but I don't really think we we lose that much glycogen.
0: Generally, yeah.
2: you just get a more like sustained energy you know caffeine buzz but towards the end of a session like you said Danny you end up getting just you just feel like you can go for a little bit longer and maybe like the quality of your work better towards the end of a session
0: as my session duration is quite long it does I do find it definitely helps having interest. and and I think Sammy you agree yeah
1: definitely I used it primarily in my prep um Mm -hmm. and that definitely helped me but I think it was more so because I was on limited carbs so I was quite yeah. sensitive to when I did have carbs. I think when you're in the height of off-season, like you said, it's probably better to use to just get the carbs in. I don't think you necessarily feel like massive benefits or difference just because you are, most of the time, your carbs are quite high anyway. You're not going to be depleted exactly. when you're on like
0: 500 grams yeah. of carbs a day. But like, <laughs> if
1: you are on lower carbs and you're struggling, maybe it's a place to consider. But then you need to realize that drinking your calories will just also make you hungrier so you know need to consider that i, yeah. I think
2: if there's like um and i mean there's always going to be extremes on either end of this when people talk about it when some people say oh like you don't need it at all there's no chance you're kind of the muscle glycogen is going to be the rate limiter i don't think muscle glycogen is always necessarily the problem you know sometimes yeah. when you just get to a session and actually it's just your blood glucose has dropped a bit
0: yeah exactly.
2: You're not really focused, you're like, the quality of your contractions and stuff just aren't really there. And instead, if you've had some intra workout carbs, sometimes you find you can just sustain yourself for a bit longer without getting that drop and just feeling a bit like, even if it's just mental and it's just a, a little bit of a placebo, you can just feel a bit better and like you're doing more quality work, I think, towards the end of a session.
0: Yeah, definitely i completely agree i don't think it it has to be viewed as something which is there to replenish glycogen i think it's like you said it's sometimes just a bit of a boost mid-session um Hmm. what so what supplements would you not recommend which have little
1: research behind them or like that are seen as um like a myth because like again you hear so many things these days about what to take
2: um i mean there's there's probably a longer list of what I wouldn't recommend than what I would. If I'm yeah. um, honest, there's very few supplements that actually provide like tangible research benefits. One that I think might surprise a lot of people that I don't recommend, and not only would I not recommend in terms of like, you know, don't spend your money on it, but it can actually have like negative effects in the other direction. Um, is really high dose antioxidant supplements. Yeah. So- people that do high-dose vitamin C, um, vitamin E, selenium, glutathione, similar other ones to that Um, and think this works in the same way as um, not supplements but things that are like recovery techniques like cryotherapy, ice baths, um, immediately post-workout, all of this stuff Um, by its nature it's antioxidants right you get oxidative damage and this helps to repair that damage. And I think a lot of people think, oh, well, if, if some of that is good, then loads of it must be great. It's the, the common school of thought with that. Yeah. But actually, we, we have all sorts of complex signalling in the muscles in order to actually signal to, to grow muscle, right, to adapt. It's the classic adaptive model where you have, like, a stimulus And then there's some sort of signaling and your body has to respond to that because something has occurred that you need to get better for in order to be able to handle that stressor. And with muscle gain, it's a similar thing. You need like a certain level of oxidative stress for the signaling in your muscles to go, we better do something about this. You know, we need to build, we need to repair and we need to grow better to be able to handle that load. And if you are really high-dosing antioxidant supplements, you blunt that signaling in the middle. And if you're blunting that signaling, they've shown less muscle protein synthesis, less muscle gain, less adaptation, because you're artificially cutting in the way of what your body would normally respond and adapt to. And this is different from performance. You know, if you've got the UFC fighter who you want to be as fresh as he possibly can for his third session that day, then things like ice baths are really good at bringing down inflammation. But if you're training once a day as a bodybuilder and you want to maximise muscle tissue growth, then you shouldn't be artificially messing with that process. You shouldn't be doing um, anything like a high-dose vitamin C and especially post-workout. Yeah. Let you just do this thing. Yeah,
0: definitely. And one thing I did want to ask about was what about BCAs? Because obviously they were a massive trend at one point in the fitness industry and it seemed like absolutely everyone was drinking BCAs. Um, so what's your opinion on them? And a little bit about EAAs as well. Would you recommend those as an alternative, if not?
1: Yeah,
2: I think, um, so BCAs I don't recommend generally. They definitely wouldn't ever be part of like a supplement stack that I'd put together for a client unless there's a very, very unique, nuanced situation to where it would be beneficial. BCAAs, I mean, by their definition, they're just amino acids. And amino acids are building blocks of protein. So some amino acids will make up proteins. If you have a good quality protein, it will be the complete spectrum of amino acids that that build that protein. Um, And BCAAs are just isolated versions of that. so I think a lot of the marketing around it is very sneaky. It's you know they say things like it it promotes muscle protein synthesis or it helps you to build muscle and all these things, but they're basically just giving you all of the positives to having protein. Yeah. Basically, having a high dose, good quality protein supplement, and calling it a day there or. because key amino acid is leucine in BCAAs, and you're going to get leucine in absolute abundance just from chicken, egg whites, whey protein, egg, anything like that. Yeah. Um, so, and that's... They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're kind of rendered useless at best by a good quality protein. And then, at worst, is the recommendations when people say sip them throughout the day. Like, yeah. Instead of having uh, or... Um, you know, they just always have them in like a, a big gallon jug of water and be sipping them forever. That's actually like the vitamin C stuff. That's actually poor advice on the, the kind of negligent side, yeah. because when we when we look at things like muscle protein synthesis, that has to naturally move in waves throughout the day. Yeah. So you have to let it spike up above a threshold, and then you have to wait and let it come down below that baseline to be able to spike it back up again to the max. You can't just have like a, like an IV drip of constant amino acids and be forever building muscle. Otherwise, we could all run 700 grams of protein a day and it will be massive. That'd be the yeah. dream, right? But it's, it's, you have to be able to time it and you have to be able to like schedule these meals every three to five hours. And if you are constantly trying to like keep your levels up high with the BCAAs, you're never going to be able to drop below that threshold in order to maximize muscle protein synthesis again. So, definitely not throughout the day.
1: Yeah, um, one supplement that Danny and I take is creatine. So, do you have any thoughts on that? And do you think that the research behind it is accurate as well? Yeah, 100%. It's,
2: it's the most researched sports supplement out there. Um, and I like it a lot for most clients. I, I mean, only if a client has. Pre-existing kidney or liver issues that might complicate something. If there's any sort of health question there, I think it's worth leaving out to peace of mind. If anything, um, avoid a lawsuit. <laughs> when it comes to like as a as a performance enhancer, it's absolutely proven. Um, it works and it's great.
1: I think it's and it's easy. cheap as well. So it's not like a supplement that not everyone can take.
2: Yeah, so cheap and so easy. Like. It's, I think a lot of people, there's probably things people don't consider about it. Number one, it's natural in our body. Everyone has creatine. No yeah. No matter you know, if it or not, it is the thing that replenishes energy in our body. Number two is that it's not just a muscle thing. Like, it works all over. Your brain is, is very much respondent to creatine kinase levels, phosphocreatine levels, things that are going to help you with, like, cognition. And there's actually... So yes, as a muscle building supplement would be my my quick answer, um, and as a performance supplement. But also yes for like some real left field stuff that people don't really think about or don't see in the research. It's used in older adults for improving memory, so it's got good good evidence for memory. Um, it's used even with like early stage Alzheimer's
0: yeah. because
2: it helps cognitive processing and other neurodegenerative diseases. So um, I think. It's even in phase three trials, which is like the last stage before it gets FDA approved and gets used widely for Huntington's disease. So it's like it's really a legit health supplement in a lot yeah. of ways as well. Um, and it's not anything to be scared of. It's not a steroid. It's not going to mess you up sort of way like it's I think
1: a lot of women um, like some of my clients they said they're scared to take it because it makes your scale weight go up slightly because it holds a bit of water right, okay. but again that's yeah. just helping your it's helping your muscles i think contract more water and it okay. improves, the thing is it improves your body composition
0: yeah. your scale weight is not a direct indicator no, okay. of what your body comp- what's happening body composition wise so even though you might experience a slight scale weight increase after taking creatine. It's, it's not negatively affecting your body composition yeah. just because your scale weight's gone up a little bit. Yeah. It's
2: not uh, bad. That's a really good point from both of you. And it's actually, um, that's a question I often get, like, oh, what about the water retention? You actually want the water retention from creatine. That's one of the, one of the ways that it works. Um, but there, there's two types of water. There's intracellular water and extracellular water. If you've got extracellular water, that's where it's going to be, like between your skin and the muscle. And yeah, you'll look a bit puffy if it's intracellular it's actually in the muscle cells mm. and that's where you want it that's where you want fluid volume that's where it's going to help you get a pump it's where it's going to help the muscle contract if you've got a fully hydrated muscle muscle protein synthesis is higher there are all sorts of benefits yeah. to that and it's not going to make you look any worse if anything it will make you look fuller and better yeah. um, Exactly. And be puffed up from that intracellular mm. um level. so also there's another good point when supplements claim like oh this is you know this type of special creatine is great because it doesn't help you retain any water run in the other direction like you, you yeah. want it to retain water that, that's a good thing yeah um, i was
0: saying you they all you want as well as creating monohydrate you don't want anything else yeah crea pure
2: yeah yeah crea pure is the german engineered best stuff you know it's going to be good and i think i mean there are some others that might might do the same thing but they're just not as well researched you know, yeah the creative is, is the one it's dirty. five grams a day every day you're good to go
0: yeah um have you got anything else to add about and going back to bcas um, what do you think of eaas jack
2: so eaas are essential amino acids they're, there's more of them than bcaas um they're still just isolated amino acids there's some evidence to suggest that be better than bcaa's because you've got a bit more of a a broad spectrum of amino acids you're not just limited to only three yeah um in a pretty similar scenario in the 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 just whole source of protein would probably be better generally um but there's time and place considerations right like a lot of people we use EAA's intra-workout. And generally, intra-workout, you wouldn't want to be having like a whey shake, something that's dairy-based, like it wouldn't sit well with a lot of people on their stomach. Um, So in that case, EAA's might be effective. Or like I said earlier, maybe it was I'll implement them, it might be like, if they work out really early in the morning and they don't want to drink a shake beforehand or have egg whites or whole food, then I might look at an absolute minimum, like please just get, some essential amino acids at least or even some branched chain amino acids yeah at least because that's just going to be muscle protective more so than being completely fasted
1: um another supplement yeah. similar to eaas i've heard is peptopro do you know much about that i've not even heard of that no
0: I think a lot uh, people also forget with things like BCAs they do also contain calories so if you are going to drink them you need to take that into account especially if you're a small female in a deficit if you're not tracking the calories from your BCAs and you're sipping on them all day it's going to contribute to your calorie intake and probably take you out of a calorie deficit at some point yeah it could yeah
2: but that's that's another consideration for one you might want to take them if you don't want a full dose of protein or if you're If looking to like if you've got a total protein number at the end of the day, and you're already splitting your meals into regular three to five hour servings, for example, maybe you've already maxed out all of your protein for the day. Especially if you're quite a light female, you know those those protein servings, that total protein number might be quite easy to get to. You might hit it quite quickly. You might kind of hit that ceiling. But if you've then got a meal lasting at night, and you want to still bump up your muscle protein synthesis before bed. Then yeah, maybe you could supplement a meal with some EAAs or some BCAAs, um, especially if you're vegetarian or vegan as well. and You want to get some vegan BCAAs or something, then that can just bump up the amino acids at a meal without you having to have you know cook up another protein source or without you having to um, get complex with the types of the proteins that you're having to create a complete protein source. For example, yeah, what
0: do you guys
2: think? yourself do you use them during training?
0: What's that? BCAs, sorry. <laughs> no, EAs. Oh EAs. I don't personally, AJ does. Um I to be honest, I prefer eating whole food sources as opposed to consuming liquid calories and liquid protein and stuff. Sometimes I'll have an intra, but other than that, I don't really like to consume like I've never used BCAs ever. Um but yeah, I'm more of a fan of getting my protein from whole food sources in most cases. Um, unless,
1: you know, I do have an intro and I add some EAAs into that. Yeah. Like I've, I've used them before in the past, like when I was in prep. And I'm definitely open to using them. But I think, like Danny said, um, I would prefer to get uh, my protein from whole food sources. Yeah. And like at yeah. the end of the day, it, it is a supplement. It's supplementing your diet so yeah. i think if you can get whole food sources in then there's no point really
2: yeah and you, you there's no immediate need to yeah. when people feel like you really need it during a session i mean if you're sticking to those general protein recommendations of eating every 3 to 5 hours with a good quality protein source
1: and the thing is they can get it. expensive as well so you could be using that money towards like supplements that actually could benefit you yeah yeah
2: yeah that's- I think they're just—they're really heavily marketed. Yeah, and really, yeah. especially as a female supplement, you get all these kind of women's-based companies with crazy pink labelling and how these are going to be like the female-friendly muscle builder for them. Yeah,
0: you know? they're a big money maker, and I think especially amongst females, there's a lot of people who are very misled by marketing and just want—they just want to get where they want to be really quickly and. Yeah. They almost try and buy into anything that they think could potentially yeah. get them there. Um, yeah. And it yeah. is sold as a bit of a quick fix. A lot of like, like there's diet shakes, for example, diet whey, when yeah. you could just have whey protein. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. And some of it is like the stuff they kind of regurgitate is, is valid. But it's like I said earlier with the supplement companies, it's clever marketing, you know, like. Yeah. If a female comes to me and fills out a coaching application and they'll say one of the questions is what supplements do you currently use and often if it's something like bcaa's i might follow up on that and say you know why why do you use that and they're like oh well it says it helps me build muscle and you're like yeah well i guess it kind of does but look here's a way we could do that without you having to spend the money on bcaa's probably in a better way as well with you getting to actually eat a protein source um and a lot of it will come down to like i'll say to people these are your options, you know, it's, it's still, you know, it's your world, I'm just living in it. You can you can buy BCAs if you want. Here would be the best way to use them. But look, that's gonna be probably five times more expensive than having a good quality whey protein. Um, and it's definitely not, not necessary by any means.
0: Yeah, I think you've got to weigh up like cost benefit as well with yeah. when you are investing in supplements, you've got to weigh it up like how much is it gonna cost you? Could you go about it another way? In order to get what you need, what the supplement would provide, um, and it's important to like do your research before you just take a pill. You know, yeah. people just shove supplements in the mouth without even thinking about it. But it is definitely important to do a bit of research before you take anything.
2: Yeah, and yeah, it's it's not you can't rely on supplement companies to give you accurate information. They're trying to sell you a product. Like, yeah. There are some good guys out there. Don't get me wrong. There are some fantastic CEOs of supplement companies, and they really do do things well. But they are a business. They are a company, and they are they want to make sales of their products. So it's it's not their job to um, to educate you on exactly how it can be used, or why, or when. It's just their job to make it as appealing as possible to you. Just, yeah. Can I tell you one more? I wouldn't recommend on that on that yeah definitely one that I don't think anyone would have ever really heard about this before the the data behind this but so I did exercise science at Exeter University and one of our lecturers Dr Ben Wool he is he's a great guy he's like super super intelligent but used to have a background in bodybuilding and so he's really into like the muscle side of things as well and he used to do a lot of research around muscle protein synthesis and that type of thing um, and he's also done a lot of the research on l-carnitine yeah um, people will tout and supplement companies will say l-carnitine is great for let's say like fat burning um, exercise performance muscle glycogen use they say it decreases muscle glycogen use so you've got more left in the tank um, but their their initial research on L-carnitine showed that supplementing L-carnitine actually didn't increase your muscles levels of L-carnitine. So it's really counterintuitive, but they're like, you can literally take pill form L-carnitine or powder form L-carnitine and it won't increase in your muscles because yeah. the availability of it is really, really poor. So only about they saw somewhere between like 14 to 18% of it was actually uptaken into the intestines. And then you've got a whole nother question as to what actually gets into the muscles from there. That's a whole nother absorption process.
1: Uh, Yeah, L-carnitine was actually the very first supplement that I ever took. (laughs) I've never taken L-carnitine. It was the first supplement. uh, Someone in the gym told my mom that it like helps with fat burning. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, so we both were taking it what you and your mom and we and the thing is we were losing weight because we were like in a calorie deficit so we yeah. thought that it was all because of the l quantity. <laughs> yeah and that's that
0: brings us on to the subject of a lot of people assume it's the yeah. supplements doing the work when they start yeah. taking supplements and change their entire lifestyle Absolutely. they start seeing results and think oh my god it must be the supplements when in reality it's just the fact that you've changed all of the other lifestyle factors which you know you previously were eating crap and not exercising as frequently as you should be and then you've changed everything started taking supplements and kind of correlated the wrong things so
1: that's another thing which people commonly do and it's important to take into account when you do also jack um you mentioned that there's some left field um supplements that aren't mainstream but proven in research are there some that you want to specifically mention yeah
2: Can I I just close the thread on L-carnitine and then I'll come straight to that? Yes,
1: yes, of course.
2: So just with that, because some people might be hearing that and then there's another little side to it as well. Um, they So that bioavailability is really poor. And then Ben Wool's follow-up research, they showed that when they supplemented it with um, a very high or very fast absorbing carbohydrate, it was able to get into the muscle. But it took eight grams of carbohydrate twice a day two servings of it twice a day with 80 grams of carbs in each um, over 24 weeks in order to be able to get actual good amounts of it in the muscle yeah so like the the research like sammy with you and your mum when you're seeing that oh you know it helps with fat burning and stuff it did but think what it required for you in order to get that little bit of extra fat burning or that little bit less muscle glycogen use i mean if you're taking another 160 grams of carbs a day over 24 weeks through a liquid I mean I don't know many people who are aiming for fat loss that have 160 grams of carbs to spare a day just through a liquid in order to get more L-carnitine I did the math on this a while ago because I wrote like a a paper on it and when you actually broke it down and looked out across the 24 weeks that was almost 110,000 more calories in that time and L-carnitine is not going to be helping you that level more. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That, that many your... calories which you could have had from like whatever food you wanted. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not do worth it in my opinion. Much in
2: order to get a little bit of gain and it's just not the, the effective thing to do for body composition. If you're an athlete and you really want to spare as much muscle glycogen as you possibly can because you're a Tour de France cyclist, say, and you're already putting away 10 grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight a day like a lot of them do because they're training for three four hours a day with endurance type work fill your boots like go for it it makes sense um i mean i don't know if it's banned by wada or anything so maybe don't take that as gospel if you're listening (laughs) yeah (laughs) but in, in terms of that it would be effective for them but for someone like a bodybuilder you just you need to coming back to what you said danny about looking at the actual data and being objective about it you have to see what what the actual facts are and i think that's where it really helps to be able to like read into a study and see what it says and what was the method because if you read that abstract you see oh l works for fat loss but then you read through the method and you see oh that required this amount of carbs every single yeah. day in order for that to work.
0: there's like a it's really common nowadays for people to post like little abstracts and studies on instagram and then everyone ultimately thinks that that's gospel like as soon as it's posted on instagram when it's you do you definitely need to read into it a little bit more than just kind of taking everything as fact as soon as it's posted on instagram sort of thing mm-hmm. because it's definitely not yeah. yeah
2: so should we go into to left field supplements that's
1: yeah a bit, yeah.
2: Bit different. yeah um the I think the creatine stuff is is pretty left field in talking about all of the other the other effects that it has um, and the other positive things it can do one thing we didn't touch on with creatine um, is that it can also help glucose uptake so um, if you're someone that trains perhaps twice a day or if you've got some some sort of scheduling issue that means some days you have to train quite back to back, you know, like if you have like a late session at 10 p.m., then you're back in first thing in the morning just because of your day setup or whatever. Those sorts of times are where it is important to replenish carbs and replenish glycogen as much as you can. Um, and basically studies have shown this is especially important for our sorts of clients and our sorts of audience that if you're on relatively low carbs, so if you're, your carbs kind of post-workout in that meal, less than 1.2 grams per kilo so if you've got a 60 kilo female that's what 72 grams of carbs in that meal that that would be a good amount of carbs for for someone who's perhaps cutting or something when they also supplemented um creatine alongside that post-workout meal it increased the amount of carbs that actually went into the muscle cell so not that you're having more carbs but just more of those carbs are actually getting shuttled into the cell um, when you have creatine post-workout, so that's one one little timing effect of creatine actually can have a benefit. Um, but generally, I, I mean, I say to ninety-nine point nine percent of clients, just take it when you remember to every day, yeah. um, unless there's that subtle nuance of someone needing to replenish glycogen quickly because of you know training twice a day or something. Um, and caffeine also has that same effect in increasing. Um, muscle, glycogen and increase in carb uptake, but you can do it with bigger amounts. So if your carbs are higher than 1.2 grams per kilo in that post-workout meal, um, you can use high doses of caffeine, but it is a a pretty damn high dose in the research. You'd have to be quite caffeine tolerant. Um, They've studied between four and eight milligrams per kilogram, so that's like 240 to 480 milligrams for a, for a 60 kilo female, which is like yeah. to six espresso shots.
0: That's quite a lot. <laughs>
2: Especially if you're that example of like PM training, I wouldn't recommend six espresso shots.
0: Your sleep would like go to shit basically.
2: <laughs> so, um, but caffeine's another thing that can do it. And if you're someone that would have caffeine anyway, um, it can be another consideration. There's also going to be caveats to that. And there'd be people that argue you want to be more in like a a rest and digest. Yeah. Kind of calm CNS state post-workout. On that note, I think that side of things is perhaps quite overhyped. It's one of these things that sounds really nice. You're like, you know, you should be restful. You should wait till your heart rate is under a certain amount or your heart rate variability is saying this, and then you can eat. Um, Sounds great, but there's just no evidence to support that at all. That's it. Maybe it would work. Maybe it's just not been studied yet, and that that would prove to be really effective. But just from what we know so far, there's no evidence behind that. Yeah. Um, In that case, I don't think you can have a straight rebuttal against caffeine that it would be too stimulatory. Um, And if you do want to load a massive amount of carbs for whatever reason post-workout, then caffeine does help with that with that uptake
0: yeah that's really interesting
2: Um, another one one that i again i definitely think no one would have considered um and one that i've never talked about on instagram or anything like that um, is acetaminophen which is just the the chemical name for paracetamol so paracetamol of course being a painkiller um and the the reason it first got researched i think is because they were looking at things that, that actually cause fatigue. So we have, generally there are sort of two camps of fatigue. One is like a central model, and that's classed anything that's like central nervous system, your brain all the way down to like the last neuromuscular junction before that muscle. And then the other camp is peripheral. So that's like the limb, that's from the neuromuscular junction down through the rest of the muscle, right? And both of these things, cause fatigue like that Um, they definitely both play a role but in that in that peripheral system there are receptors and there are things that give feedback to our brain Um, and during like high output work or um, if you're getting things like a lot of lactate in a muscle a lot of hydrogen ions built up there's signals sent back to the brain that basically say calm it like stop producing so much force because it's getting bad down here and uh, they and they they've done studies really extreme studies with fentanyl you know the really strong painkiller yeah there's there's always news stories about it because people die from it and it's like 50 times stronger than heroin or something it's always the claim they make and they have people doing time to exhaustion tests whilst infusing them with fentanyl right which is a crazy study. I don't know how they got that past an ethics board or whatever. Um, But they basically found that in in doing that, there was was no pain signalling coming from the muscle. And so these people could have a higher output because their brain just wasn't getting the information back of like, stop. They weren't feeling that pain. They weren't getting that receptor information back. Um, And I think in a bid to make that a bit more applicable and a bit less extreme, they started trying that with paracetamol Um, and actually they find it has the same positive effect. So supplementing paracetamol, they they normally do one gram of paracetamol pre-workout within sort of 45 to 60 minutes of the workout. Um, And for those people that that use it, it comes out that they can have significantly more work output, significantly more power, um, more muscle activation, especially towards the end of a set. Like if you're doing repeat contractions um, and basically just get more sustained performance, especially towards the end of the session, because you're not getting as much what they call afferent feedback, like back to the brain to tell you to stop. You just you're able to have a higher pain threshold, a higher tolerance um, and you longer through that
0: that makes sense i don't know (laughs) how beneficial it would be to someone who already like absolutely busts their ass and obliterates themselves in training because it just means like for example if aj did that he'd probably end up driving himself into the ground (laughs) but um (laughs) yeah i can see where that has its application especially when like me and sammy were saying the other day a lot of girls will send their training videos and they're clearly not working hard enough um so for someone opposite of AJ's personality, I can see how it might work. Um yeah. but who pe- with people who already train extremely hard and batter their CNS, I don't know if it would drive them literally into the ground sort of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think the the interesting thing though is that it's kind of like a it's almost like a little untapped area. You know like all those cheesy films that talk about like oh this this ten percent of our brain that we never even use or something. I mean yeah. all of that's right but in that sort of concept in that sort of way it's like for someone like aj say i mean even if he smashes himself on these sets it could be that he just doesn't even get like You reach a point where your body just won't be push to that more if he's willing to go there like mentally because they even share it with things like emg research so that's like the electrical impulses in that muscle you can just maintain like a higher force output when you yeah. have something like that. Tomorrow. And so it's like, even if you're like, you know, head willing to do it, you can even go further. And then I see what you're saying in terms of it, that might then have implications for recovery, et cetera. Yeah. Maybe for one-off session every so often, when you've got a really high intensity session coming up, um, maybe you've got a super high volume leg day or something that you just, you want a little bit of an extra something for. I think it can. And I've used it for that in the past, like for really big leg sessions of when I've got to a real, um, intense part of my training maybe you're on like a high intensity block it can be a good thing um I mean I would always recommend using it sparingly full disclaimer I've never prescribed it for a client just because I'm not, I'm not fully comfortable in being like because we know there's a certain level of like liver toxicity with painkillers and I'd, I wouldn't want to be you know responsible for kind of introducing them to that and then all of a sudden they're using it with every session you know someone's got an absent cardio day and they're popping back paracetamol I wouldn't want that to be the case.
0: With the wrong personality it could potentially be dangerous but (laughs) I can see where it might have its place if you if you really want to do it yourself.
2: (laughs) I think it's just a really interesting bit of science that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise think of and it's definitely not something you hear a lot about in Exercise science circles. And uh, I should say, just finally, as well, in case anyone's kind of putting two and two together from what we said before about um, things like inflammation, you know, with the vitamin C stuff. Because um, one of the things that also causes that blunting is what we call NSAIDs, that non steroidal anti inflammatories. So that's things like aspirin, ibuprofen. Um, Paracetamol is not one of those, it's not an NSAID, it's a different category of painkiller. So if anyone's thinking, hang on, you said don't block inflammation over there and now you're saying about using paracetamol, they work through different pathways. So it still wouldn't, it wouldn't impact any of your post-workout adaptation and recovery. Um, it just might have that pre-workout benefit to it. If yeah. If you're the right person, you're not going to abuse
0: it. Yeah. Thank you for that, Jack. Have you got anything else you want to add to today's podcast or...
2: I think that's it on the supplements front, really. I mean, unless you guys have specific follow-ups about about certain supplements or any questions you wanna wanna dive back around to.
1: One one supplement that I personally take and I've been taking for a while is uh curcumin, but one that is bioavailable. So there's certain brands I think that have bioavailable ones. Um do you have any thoughts on that?
2: I actually use it as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I think. The, the bioavailability tends to come from something like um, bioparine, like black pepper extract. It yeah. allows it to be uptaken. Yeah. Um, it inflammation, but it's not to the high dose level where something like uh, an aspirin or something would be.
1: Yeah. And we what's nice to... is that curcumin is natural as well.
2: Yeah. So one thing with it is that I'm always careful with when I take it. I always take it as far from my workout as I possibly can like I work out early in the morning I take it last thing at night just in case there would be any like interference effect Mm -hmm. I take that for um an injury personally an actual inflammation so if you're someone you feel like you're quite injury liable or if you've got an area that often gets inflamed you know someone who's got like persistent tennis elbow or something and that always flares up from a lot of pressing um something like a cumin can be good and it's there's definitely a lot of health benefits to it um, and good health properties to it Um, but it's not something that i'd i'd generally recommend for everyone just because you're probably not going to see a lot of direct benefit from it it's one of those ones that's a little bit hard to be like what am i really getting from this maybe unless you've got high levels of inflammation i mean what's your what's your reason for using it personally
1: Oh, personally, well, it's something that I've actually been recommended um, for specifically if you go to the gym and you train, so to help with inflammation and things like that. Um, but like you said, I don't take it on a daily basis just because it, it, the thing is it is pricey, especially if you get the bioavailable one. So like you said, it's kind of a waste to be taking it all the time. And I don't know if potentially your body can become like used to it, that the effects would kind of, Disappear if you always use it.
2: Yeah, I either, either. I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it's something that can be a consideration. And, uh, what about other supplements that either of you use that we not mentioned there? there different
1: um, ones that you guys. I take vitamin D3. Do you take vitamin D3? Yeah, vitamin D3. I currently actually don't take a multivitamin. Okay. Uh, I, I do at the minute i, I do. do take
0: multivitamin.
1: i potentially want to look into taking one just because my calories are coming down um i take a fish oil but again i take one that's from a good brand i take nordic oil i don't know if you know that one um where the epa and dha is higher um so that's something to look out for and then what else do i take i take we both take creatine then yeah and creatine. creatine um there, i took a lot more stuff when i was in prep i took um do you know astaxanthin so i took astaxanthin <laughs> as an antioxidant but again it's not something that i um you know was like overdosing on i always have caffeine pre-workout as
0: well whether that be a coffee or a pre-workout if yeah. i do take a pre-workout i'm currently a big fan of uh red white and boom which aj mm-hmm. has given me at the minute but yeah. Um, caffeine always pre-workout I have to have something whether it's like part placebo but I know there's benefits there's research
1: benefits to caffeine pre-workout anyway so um and then pre-bed I take well I just take it pre-bed but um zinc magnesium calcium I'm thinking to invest into L-theanine do you know much about that
2: yeah so L-theanine is is nice to balance out caffeine for a lot of people especially if they get quite anxiety um, driven by caffeine or they feel quite jittery from it. And you just tend to get like more of a sustained release of energy rather than being quite up and down. Um, But it would be some people that actually thrive on that feeling from caffeine. It depends what you do. And if you're like a fast metabolizer or a slow metabolizer, does it blitz through your bloodstream and then drop back down again? Or are you someone that just feels good after having a coffee? Um, but, yeah, pre-bed, it can have a similar anti-anxiety sort of effect.
0: Yeah. But apart from
1: that, I don't really take anything.
0: I keep it quite basic yeah. with supplements, to be honest. Um, I have used a GDA in the past, but other than that, I keep it to those basics. Um, and, yeah, like I said, sometimes I'll use a pre-workout if I'm feeling like it. And I also like pre-workout just for the taste. Um yeah because it tastes nice <laughs> but
1: yeah <laughs> i think that's about it though from all yeah. so jack our uh, last question what supplements do you personally take
2: yeah so i use a lot of whey protein isolate for me it's just time play of like it's so quick and convenient as a protein source um but i do use a lot of protein throughout my day normally at yeah. least three servings in the day
0: i think me and Sammy both use whey as well i completely like this is how frequently I use whey isolate I completely disregarded it as a supplement because it's just almost a food source to me
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's just another protein source there's nothing people ask me things like what's the max amount of shakes I can have in a day I'm like what's the max amount of chicken breast you can eat in a day like it's there's not really uh it's not really a limit like that um so protein isolate creatine definitely one um and then Beyond that, all of the supplements I use tend to be for health or for like addressing a specific problem, like I said about. So um, like the example I gave right back near the beginning, I have a family history of poor cholesterol levels, even when people are at like normative weights. We don't have like obesity in my family or anything like that. Um, But even people at normative weights tend to have um, elevated bad cholesterol and low good cholesterol. So I use a high dose garlic supplement Um, because that helps balance those levels. I use um, an omega-3 fish oil, because um, I don't eat a lot of fatty fish. It's just not really something that's that's in my diet frequently, so I supplement with that. Um, Vitamin D, since we live in sunny England, and uh, there's not too much sun exposure. Something with that as well. A lot of people think, oh, I live in a sunny country, I don't need it. But you actually only synthesize vitamin D3 from like, bare skin, sun exposure, and a good amount of hours per day. So even if you're watching this from Florida and laughing at me right now, unless you're like out sunning yourself with a lot of skin exposure every day, you could probably do with one as well. Um, I I use a probiotic for digestion and gut health. I mean, that's another entire podcast in itself, right? But um, I have IBS and a whole host of things that are that are wrong with my digestive system. So something like a probiotic does really help me. Um, what else do I use? I do take a multivitamin because again my my diet's pretty restricted. I, I tend to eat for convenience and speed a lot of the time. Uh, you know, I'll fully admit that I don't spend a lot of time food prepping or anything. Um, generally, for me, the more simple, the better. So. I do take a multivitamin to cover that. Um, curcumin, just through like a turmeric capsule to help with inflammation. Um, and that's because I've got a bit of a persistent injury in my shoulder that keeps keeps cropping back up. So I, t- I find that that tends to keep it relatively in control. Um, and I think that's everything. Yeah. Anything else I use from supplement companies will be more like foods and protein foods things like um i'll use like peanut butter powder and things like that because it's it's lower in fat and you can use it to flavor things or um things like the sort of the, the kind of zero calorie foods you know, like the low calorie noodles or rice you know if calories are low or something and i want something that's a bit um filling maybe i'll use something like that but generally in terms of supplements they're more health-based for me and kind of helping with one specific thing rather than just being like uh this is going to help me get massive so i'm going to take all of these i don't really do a lot of bodybuilding supplements generally
0: yeah i completely agree it's best to keep it simple really unless like you said you've got a direct issue which you need to address um Thank you so much for coming on today, Jack. We really appreciate
1: it. And I think everyone will find this podcast super beneficial. Yeah, thank you. It was really insightful. And, it, you know, it even helped me and Danny. We learned some new things as well. Yeah.
0: No thank, you so thank you so much. And um, thank you for listening, guys. As always, we really appreciate your feedback. If you'd like to leave us a review, we'd massively appreciate
1: it. Um, anyway. Yeah. And then, Jack, do you want to uh, tell the listeners where they can find you on Instagram? Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. So uh, just underscore Jack Lenton, and Lenton is L-E-N-T-O-N, and Instagram's definitely my main main platform, it's where I put stuff out. So if you want to talk any supplement stuff, if any of this stuff interests you or resonates with you, then come throw me a message on there and we can, we can talk science.
0: Yeah, great. We'll put Jack's Instagram handle down below in the description, so if you do want to find him on Instagram, you can just type his name in and search. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks, guys.